skip to um, uh, really clearly and powerfully communicate uh, your word uh, to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts this morning through your word? Uh, Would you make our hearts sensitive to your voice? Uh, And would we be uh, fully here that we might fully obey uh, through your empowerment um, the things that you're doing in our hearts. And I just ask that we would be aware of the invitations you are extending through your word as Skip shares with us. Mm-hmm. Would right. we receive any challenge with joyful conviction? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus, for a wonderful sunny Sunday mm-hmm. and a wonderful spring, Jesus. Thank you so much for Skip. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we actually get into the message, I uh, checked my Facebook, my Facebook accidentally this morning, and I mean that entirely sincerely. If I can avoid Facebook, I, I do, but it just happened to pop up. And I saw that today is Rhonda Croft's birthday, right? And I thought we should definitely acknowledge that. Not every church in the world has a Rhonda Croft, so we need to acknowledge that. And happy birthday, Rhonda. We're glad you're with us, one of us, and uh, have fun. <laughs> So today I'm going to talk about the story of Jonah and, uh, and the great fish, a story that I'm guessing many of you are fairly familiar with. It's a story that's kind of stepped into the, uh, you remember back in the day when like Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, they, they crossed over. Do you remember that? Right? They were very, they were Christian, Christian artists and then they crossed over into the secular world and became famous there. Well, uh, Jonah has certainly crossed over. He uh, is, is very much a part of the Christian world, the, the, uh, the Jewish world, the, the history from our scriptures, but he also has crossed over into the secular realm, and there are children's books, there are little stuffed animals, Jonah is on wallpaper, in nursery rooms, all over the place. He, he is, he's, his story is well known, uh, and it's often told very cutely, very happily, uh, and they, they conveniently leave off the very end of it, where the hero of the story is a big crying baby, a big grouch, right? And yet I think that that's that end of the story, which is a big part of the, you know, the, the actual point, the reason we have the story of Jonah and the fish. The truth is that Jonah does have a death wish. There's something that he would uh, would there's something going on that he is aware of that he would like to prevent, even if it cost him his own life? Um, this is not a cute story. In fact, it's not a story even with very clear answers to it. It's, it's, it's difficult for me as the presenter of this story this morning to, to really package up uh, this story. Um, The application from this book, from this story, if you're going to make application from this story, it will require that you spend some time alone with the Holy Spirit, listening to him, uh, letting him influence your thoughts. Uh, It's not going to happen just nice and quick and clean here this morning. Uh, Jonah is a guy who knows a few things for sure. One of the things that he knows for sure is that God's mercy is powerful and that it is aggressively advancing towards even his enemies. And the other thing he knows for sure is that Jonah would rather die 
than see his enemy enjoy the grace of God. Those are the two things he knows for sure. And so it's not a cute, fun story. It's actually hard and a bit, a bit dark. Uh, and it requires us uh, taking it quite seriously. So I want to, for those of you that it's been a long time since you've read Jonah, I just kind of want to kind of quickly go through and give you the overall of the story, and then we are going to read together and focus on the final chapter of the story. Chapter 1 opens up where God says to Jonah, who is a prophet, he actually shows up in other, other places in Scripture, we know Jonah. He, uh, as a prophet, and, and you will begin to discover this over the next couple of weeks as we talk about prophets, prophets are people who the Lord has a unique way of communicating with. Um, uh, numbers describes that, uh, I believe it's Numbers or Exodus, one of them, uh, describes that uh, a prophet is often spoke to in riddles and rhymes, and, and the Lord gives him visions, and it's a little bit strange, right? But there's a unique connection between a prophet and the Lord. A prophet definitely hears from God. A prophet definitely uh, has, has that, that connection, and there's that, that communication there. And so the, the Lord says to this prophet, Jonah, he says, I want you to get up. I want you to arise, and I'm sending you on a mission. I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital city of, the, of your enemies, the, uh, the Ninevites. Uh, I want you to go to the Assyrians. I want you to go to, to, uh, to Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim a message to them that they can be forgiven if they will repent of their wickedness. The, the Ninevites were known for their violence and their aggression towards other neighboring nations, and especially Israel. They themselves bragged about it. If, if you asked a Ninevite uh, who they were and how they would describe, like we would describe our own uh, as, as a nation, uh, America, we would, we would say things like, we believe in uh, the, uh, uh, the right to vote. We believe in uh, the, the pursuit of property ownership and, and the pursuit of happiness, these kinds of things, right? You, if you asked a Ninevite how to define his country, he would say, we are violent. We are aggressors. And so Jonah was not interested in going to his enemy with a message of possible forgiveness. Those people, that nation, they are the bad guy. And Israel was not the only enemy of, of Assyria. Every nation that ever encountered Assyria, the Ninevites, uh, became very quickly their enemy. This is actually in my time as on staff at Church on the Rock. This is why I have always been in favor of hiring havens, if possible, because that's right. Thank you, and you're you're welcome, Adam. We've we collectively brought you a, a wife, and Jared, you did well too. Um, uh, but I'm in favor of hiring havens because. Uh, as Canadians, they have no natural enemies, right? And so I just know that uh, it's all going to go well for us with a haven. And so far, we've been spied on, uh, spied on, spot on. Anyway, Jonah says, uh, I will arise. I will arise and I will go, but I'm not going to Nineveh with that message. Instead, I'm going to Tarshish. Tarshish is the, uh, the uh, modern-day Spain. It is, it is the furthest, way, furthest place away from Nineveh as he could think of at that time in his awareness of the world. He says, you want me to go this direction, which would be a, a trip over land by foot to, to give a, a message of the gospel to these people, and I will not 
because they don't deserve it, because they are my enemy, because they have, they have acted in ways of injustice towards me. So I won't go there. Instead, I will absolutely go there. As my wife and I were talking about this, and she says, it's interesting that Jonah would, would run away from the Lord. Don't you have to, to run away, don't you have to admit that you are running away, right? It, it's not just, I'm just going to casually mosey over to Tarshish. No, he says, no, I am acting in absolute defiance. I will not extend your gospel message to those people. Why? Because they have treated me poorly. They are my enemy. And so he is running away, and there's an antsiness to disobedience. Have you ever noticed that? Have, have you ever sensed the Lord wanted you to do something, and you were so committed to doing anything but that, that you felt an antsiness I got to move. I I, got to go. I can't stand here in the presence of the Lord and take this anxiety. Uh, If I'm going to disobey, I better do it now and move. And so that's what Jonah does. He hits to Tarshish. Along the way, on a boat, a storm comes up. And Jonah finds himself asleep in the hull of the boat. But the sailors above... Uh, a crowd that we generally think of as a pretty salty uh, character of, of guys, they are terrified by this storm. They are afraid they're going to die. And they begin calling on their gods, whatever gods they have. But the storm continues. Do you know why the storm continued? Because they were not calling on a god who hears, right? And so the storm continued because none of their gods were able to rescue. And they... they uh, they finally found no, or and that might happen. I'm just going to time out. Um, I might call him Noah a couple times <laughs> in this message. But I, I, I know it's Jonah, and you know it's Jonah, and we'll just, you hear Jonah when I say Noah. <laughs> Jonah, uh, he says, Jonah, get up on this deck and uh, pray to your God. And Jonah says, actually, fellas, I know exactly why this storm is going on. You see, I serve the God who made not just the land, but also the sea, and their eyes got wide. You serve the God of the sea? Well, yeah, kind of. I kind of, I know him, but the fact is I'm running from his presence, which is an interesting phrase. Three times in this first chapter of Jonah, his excursion is described like this. He says, I'm going to Tarshish. But really, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. And these boys immediately recognize, yep, you're the problem. You're the reason we're experiencing this storm. The God of the oceans is mad at you because you are running from his presence. You are running in disobedience to him. And Jonah says, I have a solution. I would rather die than to have to go back and be obedient to him. I would rather die than to survive this storm and possibly have to extend the gospel message to my enemies. And so, here's my solution. Throw me overboard. Let me die, right? And what's interesting is these men, who's with their own lives on the line, they say, no, we're not actually gonna do that. We're not gonna throw you overboard. Instead, we're gonna row even harder 
We're gonna try to rescue all of us. We value, we don't know you and you're clearly in disobedience, but we value your life enough that we are going to try to rescue all of us. Okay, and so they begin to row instead of throwing Jonah over. But the storm continues. And finally, the sailors in desperation say to their new God, the God of the land and the sea, they say, hey, we have tried to rescue this man and you clearly want him dead. So we don't know any better. We don't know any, we're out of options. And so we're gonna throw him in the drink. Please have mercy on all of us for doing this. Do you see the humility that they express to this, this God they just met? So they launch him over. Uh, and you would think that he would drown in, in, uh, to death, right? But instead, something miraculous happens. As the story goes, a large fish comes up and one big gulp swallows him up. <laughs> That's right. Swallows up Jonah, and he sits there. Chapter 2 describes his, uh, um, a, a prayer, a very artistic, poetic prayer of repentance that he prays where he describes his situation as being drugged down to the roots of the mountain. I'm in the absolute bottom of the sea, and yet I'm surviving. Uh, it is a miracle. Uh, and he says to the Lord, if you will spare my life, I will obey you, even though I, I hate to. <laughs> and go and extend grace to my enemy. And so the whale, or whatever it is, uh, the big fish, gets close to the... Uh, to the shore and barfs him up onto the beach. He washes off. He walks into Nineveh and he preaches a very simple message uh, calling that nation to repentance. The, the reaction in this wicked city is so sharp, so drastic that even the king learns of it and the king says, yes, we will repent of our wickedness. And not only us, but our animals. Everyone will be dressed in, um, when I tell the girls this, I say potato bags, sackcloth, right? You know, just harsh clothing, even the critters covered in this harsh clothing. No water, no food. We are going to repent for our wickedness. And God relented. The God who is going to destroy this nation says, because of your repentance, I will now extend my mercy to you. You're welcome. I wanted to, uh, uh, I have a good friend, uh, someone you're familiar with, Edson Knapp. I want to invite Edson to the stage. Edson is a radiologist here in Homer. And I, so he has a, a great deal of expertise in seeing what goes on on the inside, right? And, yeah, um, of people, not necessarily <laughs> big fish or whales. Well, is it really that big of a difference? I, I mean, you know, I'm almost identical. <laughs> plus, you're, plus you're, you're super smart, and you're, you're a doctor and stuff. So um, I thought... Well, I, just I don't like, know get how to it. respond to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would, I would just be interested to have your, your take on what it would be like to... Um, not, not what it would be like, but what might we do some of the effects of... Like, how would this whole story even work? A man is swallowed by a large fish... Uh, can we really buy that? Um, and, and what would that really, like medically, scientifically, what would that look like? 
If I tried to talk scientifically, they would know I'm making it So am it I up. supposed to answer? Or? Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. No, I'm just teasing you. Uh, <laughs> because you're... You know, so the first thought is, like, this is like battery acid that you're getting tossed into. The I stomach mean, acid. Yeah, the stomach. I mean, yeah. it's high, intense acid. So there wouldn't be a normal way to survive that experience. Um, okay. In fact, I was reading because you told me I might have to talk about fish. Um, there's like four stomachs and each one has its own digestive ability. Um, the interesting thing is there are things the size of humans that have been swallowed whole and okay. found inside of large fish. So okay. technically it's possible, but the idea that you could survive inside of one of those, it probably would be like being in a cocoon surrounded by acid. So it'd be pretty uncomfortable. Sure. What would that, what would that acid, what kind of effect would that have? Obviously, I, I ultimately would it would kill them. You would kind of get bleached. Okay. Like you would sort of turn white. Okay. Um, and you were saying white too, like hair. The, maybe the vapor or whatever. The, uh, my, you were saying something about that. But yeah. Well, I mean, if you had to breathe in that acid, it would be obviously bad for your lungs. So might have some health effects from it as well. Yeah, and, and you know, that makes sense. I mean, this guy, Jonah, has been uh, soaking in these stomach acids for three days, right? He's... I, th I think the prayer that you described, where he feels like he's just barely alive, uh -huh. is probably exactly accurate. <laughs> like, he was just why, why am I here? I would rather be dead than be in this fish. Right. I would even be willing to preach to the Ninevites than be in this fish. Right. Yeah. Or kill me already. Or just kill me, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about, you know, here's this guy. He's, he's bleached white, and he looks terrible, right? He's been vomited. Of course, think of the urban legends that would be associated with Jonah. Absolutely. And this guy with these... This physical effect on him, he walks into Nineveh, everybody knows that, right? They would notice that. They would notice that. They would know the story of the guy who was swallowed. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. The and fascinating a... thing in reading about it is that what fish can't digest, they actually spit out. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So it kind of, that part of the story really matches well. Huh, huh, yeah. So as a radiologist, I'm just curious, is there, uh, like, what's the coolest thing you've ever found in somebody? <laughs> um, this is sort of PG rated, so I have to be careful with my answer. Um, there's, there's a group of people who struggle, who swallow things. Um, prisoners are often in this category because they're trying to like get to sick bay or whatever. Oh, okay. So razors, very common. People really? swallow, you know, the, the razors that are sharp on both sides, they'll swallow those. I've seen a whole packet of razors swallowed. Really? Um, and of course, the coin swallowers. There's a whole group huh. of people that swallow coins. Huh. Um, and the favorite one is batteries. There's a lot of really? people that swallow batteries. I used to have a lady that came in every two weeks faithfully with any batteries that she could get a hold of. And so she would take x-rays and she'd have 10 or 12 batteries in her stomach and huh. they'd go in and fish them out and she kept doing it until they finally got her some medication. Huh. Wow. That, that was way more than I expected. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. Huh. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, that's something. Hey, wait, 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 real quick. Let me ask you this. Yes. Um, uh, this is just something I'm, I'm curious about. Um, this you know, being on stage with him is like being on stage with a friendly porcupine. You're just not quite sure if you're going to get stuck. No, this is for real. This is for real. And that's actually a serious question. I'm curious. Knowing where we're going with this story, 
Is there anyone in your life that you can think of? Don't name any names. Don't be as detailed as you just were about that. <laughs> Is there anyone you can think of in your life that you would describe as somebody who, um, who would rather die than extend grace to their enemies? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So with that set up, let's turn to Jonah chapter 4, the end of the story. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said, would, uh, I said when I was yet in my country? That is why... Um, that's, uh, I better. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, How's that working for you, Jonah? You're angry at my steadfast love and my mercy. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in the shade till he should see, uh, uh, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and um, by the way, I just as I was reading this, I don't know this for sure, but to me, it seems like that cha- that story right there is like the inspiration of uh, the the Grinch who stole the closing scene of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Can you picture that? Here's this here's this Grinch who tried to rob from this nation of people the grace of God. He goes up on a hill and he looks down and he says, "Now what will they do without their boxes and bags?" Right. <laughs> But what he sees is a city who is beginning to thrive and awaken to the reality of the mercy of God. And he's irritated by that. He says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also, 
much cattle. Jonah has two death wishes in this passage. He says, I would rather die than celebrate God's favor on my enemies. Listen, Jonah's, uh, Jonah's frustration with the Ninevites is legitimate. These people were not rude to him. They destroyed his friends and neighbors violently, right? His frustration with them is legitimate. But here is an opportunity for those very wicked people to repent and turn from their evil ways and also experience the grace of God. And he says, I would rather die than see my enemy be blessed and to receive favor from God. And I'm telling you now, Jonah is beginning to craft his legacy. He will forever be known by those who really know the story. Not the wallpaper buyers, not the children's book version, but the true story. He will forever be known as the crotchety old man who hated the, the grace of God extended to anyone other than his own people and who climbed up that hill and waited for them to be destroyed. That will become his legacy because he would rather die than celebrate that his enemy might receive some favor from a God who is merciful. And I would say to you, if that sounds familiar to you, if that resonates in your own heart, if you say to yourself, yeah, I actually would rather see my enemy destroyed than to enjoy the favor of God, then I would encourage all of us in that camp to take a lesson from the sailor. These sailors who were not Israelites, who did not know this God, they were pagans, right? Outsiders to the grace of God. And these sailors, the lesson we can learn from them is they had, this, they had this capacity to hold a tension, a tension between valuing a person's life and, uh, and holding them accountable for their disobedience. The sailors, you remember the story? Jonah says, I'm the reason. I'm the disobedient one. And the sailors say, he says, Jonah says, throw me overboard and let me die. And the sailors say, no, we value your life. We're going to seek a way to preserve your life and let God hold you accountable. But when the opportunity was lost, when it was necessary, they said, the fact is, apparently, God is holding you accountable. And they, were, they found a way to hold that tension. Uh, again, as I said before, the solution for this in your own situation where you say, I'm, I'm wrestling with hating an enemy and not wanting God to bless them. If you find yourself in that position, look to the sailor and let the sailor teach you how to value the person's life. They are a human. They are a person whom the Lord loves and at the same time hold them accountable for their disobedience. Uh, for me, personally, one of the ways that's most helpful in, in helping me hold attention for valuing the life of someone I'm mad at <laughs> and yet also recognizing they need to be held accountable in appropriate ways for their deeds of disobedience. One of the ways that I found helpful is intercession. 
to, uh, to once again not run from the presence of the Lord, but to actually do the hard work of stepping into the presence of the Lord and saying to the Lord, dear God, this clown that is in my life, I'm mad at them. They've offended me, right? I, I, I would almost rather die than see you bless them. But here I am, and I'm willing to pray blessing for them, to do the work of that, right? Uh, I'm asking you not only to do a blessing in their life, but also I'm expecting that you're going to begin to change my heart because I don't want my legacy to be a legacy where I withhold the grace of God from my enemy. It's good for the offender, but it's also good for the offended. Intercession. Intercession for our enemies is at the core of the gospel message, and it does take work. Uh, I had a situation yesterday where uh, a guy that I don't know, a customer service kind of situation, right, which uh, I tend to get those, I don't know why, but uh, where I was just like so offended, right, so mad, I could hardly talk right, do you know what I mean? Slurred speech, and I got in my truck, and I I was actually supposed to uh, uh, meet up with my wife and my kids at the, the farmer's market. And I found my wife, and how's it going? The kids having fun? Good. You'll never guess what happened to me. <laughs> and I dove into the store, and we have other friends around us, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I told my terrible story of how I would almost, almost rather die than see this guy. Enjoy the favor of God. And I, I was on my way out of the, the, the uh, farmer's market, and I bumped into another friend. How's it going? Good? You'll never guess what happened to me. <laughs> and I realized now it's a pattern, right? And so I got in my truck, and of course, and this happens every time I preach. And so I'm so looking forward to this fall. And I can have <laughs> like four months of the Lord leaving me alone, you know? Uh, but every time I preach, there's this, like, he puts his finger. He says, okay, you're preaching on that? <laughs> you're the right guy to preach on that. <laughs> the Lord says, you know, you could intercede for that guy. Okay. And it is amazing. That way, the the grace of God, and I'm reminded of the tremendous grace and steadfast love that has been extended to me through Christ's work on the cross. And what this guy did to me pales in comparison to what I continue even now to do to the Lord. And yet, his grace is thick, and his love is steadfast. I better hurry up. Jonah says, Here's the second one. He says, not only would I rather die than, than to see my enemy receive some kind of favor from the Lord, but I would rather die than lose the comfort that comes from being right. I knew this would happen. I knew you would be nice to them, right? They don't deserve it. And I would say, if that's you, if that sounds, if those thoughts and that voice sounds familiar in your ears, 
I would say maybe, uh, maybe you and I, maybe we can learn a lesson from the Ninevites who heard this message from God and worshiped him and feared him. So much so that the king said, we're all going to stop eating. We're all going to stop drinking. We're going to take off these fancy clothes or we're going to put on potato bags. We need to let the Lord know that we're terrified of his wrath and maybe he will relent. Learn a lesson from the Ninevites. Don't run from the presence of the Lord, but step in again to the presence of the Lord, worshiping him and fearing him. There is a, a literary trick that takes place in this, in this uh, book, the story of Jonah. It happens twice. It's called the light word. How did I do, Michael? Did I describe that right or pronounce that right? A light word is when there is a repetition of a particular phrase, and the repetition, repetition is very intentional. There's a point being made there. And the repetition, the phrase that is being repeated in the story of Jonah is that God appointed. First, in God, in his sovereignty, appointed a fish, and then a plant, and then a worm, and then a wind. This is a God who has command over creation. This is a God who is sovereign. This is a God who appoints. And what's interesting is he even appoints the down and dirty stuff, the worm, right? The fish. He has, the, he, he has value for the cattle, right? In other words, everything is significant to him. Everything, including your enemy. Significant to him. He has appointed your enemy. In fact, it may be that he has appointed your enemy for your redemption, your enemy for your education, your enemy for your maturity, right? It may very well be that the Lord is adding value to your enemy for the very specific purpose of adding value to your life. Maybe you could learn a lesson from the Ninevites and worship and fear God and receive from him. This story, the story of Jonah, is the Old Testament version of the uh, parable that Jesus told, the, the, the prodigal son, where one son leaves the father and squanders all of his goodness, and in his swaller, he decides, swaller, is that right? You know what I mean. In his filth, and his wretchedness, he says, I'm going to go back home and maybe God will, ex maybe my dad will extend some grace to me. And so he does. And his father does extend grace to him and he welcomes him back. He clothes him and he gifts him. And out in the field is the son who never left his dad's presence, who never disobeyed his dad. And that passage, as you read through it in Luke, Luke chapter um, 15, it says that when the son when the, when the older son, the son who never left his presence, approached the home, he heard the music and he, he asked one of the servants, what's going on? What are we celebrating here? What good favor of my father's are we celebrating? And the servant said, your brother, your enemy has repented and come home. And the son who had it all together and the son who never left the presence of the Lord says, but he was angry and he refused to go in. He refused to re-enter the presence of his father. Such a shame. 
There's another light word, another, another repetition in this passage. Arise, go to Nineveh. He says uh, over, and, uh, over and over again, the Lord says, arise and go, arise and go. And Jonah says, I will arise and go in the opposite direction. Tarshish, which is really more about fleeing the presence of the Lord than it is about, excuse me, going to Tarshish. I would just say to you this morning that you might prayerfully consider the possibility of arising and going to your enemy. It may be impossible. Uh, in, In many cases, it may be unwise. It may even be unsafe to return to your enemy with a message of grace. I can certainly appreciate that, and that's legitimate. But can you arise and go to the presence of the Lord? Step into the presence of the Lord with this enemy on your tongue, praying for the enemy, asking God to do what maybe it would be inappropriate for you to do and bless them. Here's my question, really. Can you step into the presence of the Lord and have a conversation with him about this enemy of yours? A conversation where you are humble and worshipful, where you are uh, able to hold attention of knowing the importance of accountability and yet valuing this person's life for what it is, right? And have that kind of conversation with the Lord and see what the Lord might do on their behalf and on your behalf. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. Jonah says uh, in chapter 3, he says, My death has become my salvation. Here I disobeyed the Lord, I ran from the Lord, and now I am been swallowed by this fish. And here I sit, but my death has become my salvation. He's talking about baptism. Uh, me giving up my life so that I might step into a new life. You know, Jesus says when people were bugging him, asking him, Give us a sign. Give us a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign. It's the same sign you've already seen. It's the sign of Jonah. Do you remember how Jonah went into the belly of the fish? Good as dead. But he was resurrected. I'll give you the same sign. I'm going to go into the earth. I'm going to go into my grave. But I'm going to come back out resurrected, living a new life. And that will be a sign to you that I really am who I say I am. And I would say to you and me, myself this morning, that you can live out that same sign. You can embrace your own death and step into new life with regard to your enemies. I asked Edson if he knew of anybody who seemed to enjoy the pleasure of withholding God's grace. Somebody who loves to be offended, loves to hold a grudge. And my guess is you, you know that person too. That has become their legacy as it has become Jonah's legacy, the guy who withheld grace from his enemies. What a sick legacy. We're called to so much more. What could it look like if you were to embrace your own death in this offense? Spend some time in the Lord's presence, interceding and display the gospel in a way consistent with how God's mercy 
has been extended to you. Amen. Understand. As you know, we offer a couple of opportunities, four opportunities really, to respond to the Lord uh, each Sunday morning. We have uh, uh, this group of people that would be glad to pray with you about these things or anything else. Over here against the wall, there's um, offering receptacles around the room. There's communion tables. Uh, You certainly can uh, remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And of course, we're going to sing songs and worship the Lord that way. But however you decide to uh, respond to the, the message and the Lord, I would just encourage you to do it stepping into the presence of the Lord in humility. Let the Lord speak to you. Let this be a tender moment where you talk about these very uh, important relationships, even defining legacy-making reactions to uh, even the hardest people in our lives. Well, as I told you, this is not really all that cute of a story. Um, It it requires actually some hard work. And the, the truth is our lives and our relationships, especially with Our enemies, those who have offended us, maybe continue to offend us. That is, uh, that's not simple. That's not easy. That's not clean and crisp, right? It requires uh, a willingness to to step into uh, a relationship with the Lord who desires to help each of you navigate through that. So I, I hope that you and I courageous enough to do that. And as we do, let me just simply leave you with this reminder. The God in whose presence we step into to have that hard conversation is the God who is gracious and merciful. He is the God who is uh, abounding in steadfast love. And he is the God who does not desire to bring disaster to bring life. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. If you would stick around and help us with the chairs and stuff, we'd really appreciate that. If you have a kid who's interested in camp this year, you can uh, make that all happen over at the information table. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Lord bless you.